title of our study today is Standing on God's Promises When I Can't See the Possibilities. Standing on God's Promises When I Can't See the Possibilities. Have you ever made a promise to someone and you have the best intentions of keeping that promise, but circumstances being what they were enabled you to keep that promise? Has that ever happened to you, parent, grandparent? Ever happened to you with any other relationship? Has anybody ever made a promise to you and they had good intentions in keeping that promise, but in spite of the best of intentions, circumstances being what they were and the conditions that have changed resulted in them not being able to fulfill the promises that they made? I think we've all been disappointed with that reality. We have had the best of intentions when we made promises to people and we did intend to fulfill those promises. We thought that we could, we imagined that we could, we planned on fulfilling those promises, but in spite of our best plans and our preparations and our promise, we did not live up to what we told someone else we would do, and we failed in that promise. And as a result, we've had to come to them and then say, you know what, I'm sorry I let you down. I did not fulfill your expectations in meeting that promise. God is someone who never, ever doesn't fulfill his promises. And the reason why he never, ever doesn't fulfill his promises is because God is God. God is God over the circumstances. He is God over the conditions. And when God promises to do something, God will do it. But the problem doesn't come with the possibility of God doing it. The problem often arises with our disbelief in God fulfilling that promise. You see, we know what God has promised, we have read what God has promised, we understand what God has promised, but the reality is that we see the impossibilities. We began to to sort of analyze in our minds and and we rationalize with our thought process all of these, these human elements, these human dimensions that we just cannot for any reason see how God is going to make happen what he has promised that he would fulfill. And so we imagine, Lord, how are you going to fulfill these promises? I mean, are, are you blind? Do you not understand? Do you not see that there's a human factor in, in, involved here? That in, in this human factor, there's no way in the world that, that what you have promised is going to happen. This circumstance is so great. This situation is so grievous. This relationship has been so deteriorated, this, this obstacle is so large that it's almost impossible to overcome. And as a result of that, we see the impossibility rather than the possibility of God fulfilling what he has promised he would do. Well, I want us to be reminded today in this study that when God promises that he will do something, God not only does what he promised, he will fulfill what he has promised. Maybe not in our timetable. Maybe not exactly what, how we anticipate or, or in what way we perceive or, or imagine, but God will in time, in his way, fulfill what he has promised. And that's what he's going to do to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 as we continue our study in these timeless principles that are very important for us to consider in these times as we seek to fulfill the journey of faith that God has called us to live, much like Abram. So let's take a look at the promises of God. Number one, God's promises are enabled by God alone. God's promises 
are enabled by God alone. Look at the passage. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now here we see that, that the writer Moses begins by now telling us in chapter 15, after he described what has happened in Genesis 14, that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After what things? Let's just recap for just a moment what happened in Genesis 14, because some of us have slept since then, and we may have forgotten what God has done in Genesis 14. Let's remind ourselves what's happened. Remember Lot sought refuge in Sodom? And uh, the kings, these, these four kings, rose up, and they came against Sodom and eventually trapped them, had a battle with them, engaged in that conflict, won the victory, took the spoils, and in taking the spoils from Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three kingdoms that joined forces with them, also took Lot, his wife, and all of his possessions, and they began to head north. Someone who had escaped from the battle ran and told Abram what had happened. Abram grieved in his spirit because his nephew Lot had been captured by a foreign entity, rose up an army within himself of his own people, and he pursued after this king who had captured Lot. There was a battle that ensued, and as a result of that, Abram won the victory. And we know that because God intervened, it was God who gave Abram the victory. We know that because of Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Jerusalem, came and blessed Abram. And in blessing Abram, he and Abram also acknowledged that the victory was given because of God's divine intervention, God's power, God's sovereign will. And as a result of that, Abram then, recognizing that God had given him the victory, gave God one-tenth of all of the spoils that he had gotten in that encounter. He gave then Lot what was due him. He gave Sodom back what was, belonged to Sodom. And now he is going back to his home, victorious, having been blessed by God. So he's on the way back to his residence. After those things that have happened in Genesis 14, the word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Abram. I think it's interesting that God makes a move toward Abram personally at this time. In Genesis 14, we learn that God made a move toward Abram through Nebuchadnezzar, who was the high priest of God. And sometimes God makes moves toward us through other people. But this time, God personally encounters Abraham. He begins to move toward Abram, and he seeks Abram out because, you see, he knows that Abram is discouraged or He's, he's somewhat despondent, so to speak, and he's sort of going back sort of with his head down, and his spirit is low. We're not fully cognizant of the reality as to what caused this downward trend in his spirit, in his heart, and in his emotion, but he is, he is distraught at this time, and God is moving toward him, and it helps us realize that God knows Abram by name. He calls him out, Abram, and he speaks to him by name. God knows your name. Like Abram, he knows what you're going through. And like Abram, God will seek you out in your most despondent, discouraged, dejected moment in your life. And he will pursue you and he will come to you at, at his time, in his way. And he will speak into your life and communicate to you, hey, I know your name, I know what you're going through, and I've got a word of hope for you. That is and will encourage you as you proceed from this point on. That's what he's doing to Abram. 
And so after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. There's a supernatural method by which God has used and selected at this point in which God is coming to him through a vision. And the vision primarily is for the purpose of communicating a word of encouragement, of hope, and promise to Abram that all is not lost, all is not over. Have hope. I'm going to fulfill what I have promised. You can imagine Abram, you know, after having all the spoils of, of, of the battle, feeling pretty much, yeah, I've got a, lot of, got a lot of stuff in my pocket right now. I've got a lot of deposit in the bank. I'm pretty wealthy. I mean, it was a sizable income that he had received because these kings had, had whipped up on and conquered many other little city-states around Sodom and Gomorrah before they captured Sodom and Gomorrah. And he not only took what they had captured from those battles, but also what belonged to them. It was a sizable portion of money, and he gave it away. And so he's walking away and wondering, all right, God, how are you going to fulfill your promise? How are you going to accomplish what you have told me you're going to accomplish? Have you ever felt like that? God, how are you going to make possible what I believe you want to do in and through my life? I just don't see the possibilities. I, I see the circumstances. I see the obstacles. I see the situations. I see the hurdles and the barriers. And, and I see the enemy and all the things that are in the path of you fulfilling and accomplishing what I believe you want to do in my life. But I just can't see it. And God pursued Abram, and he spoke to him at just the right time. And he'll do the same for you. And notice the message that he gives to Abram. Fear not. Abram is, is apprehensive. He is anxious about something. And most scholars believe that he's anxious about possibly having had this battle and won this battle. See, up to now, Abram has sort of stayed out of the conflict. He's not an aggressor. And he has defended his nephew and rescued him. And now he has now made a mark in the region because now he is a warrior who's engaged in an enemy, a pretty awesome enemy who is pretty powerful and pretty renowned in the area and he's battled against them and he's defeated them and the word's going to get out and maybe there are others going to come now and pursue Abram and seek to engage in battle with him. It's kind of like playing king of the hill. Who's the king of the hill today? Who's on top? And once you're on top, everybody wants to take you down. And maybe that's the problem of his discouragement. But I think maybe not just that, but I think he's also wondering, God, how are you going to fulfill your promise? How are you going to make true to your word? There are just too many things that I'm looking at, and I'm perceiving too many obstacles and too many barriers. I just don't see the possibilities. I see impossibilities. And he says to him, fear not. Don't be anxious. Have you ever been anxious? Of course you have. And he's saying to him, don't be anxious. Fear not. I am, notice he said, your shield. I am your defender. I am your protector. I am your provider. I am your. That's a personal thing. God said, I am your shield. And I think he says to you today and to those of us who are in Christ, I am your defender. I am your protector. I am your provider. It's all on God. I am the I am who will protect you, who will defend you, who will provide for you. I am your shield. Notice he says, your reward shall be not just great, but your reward shall be very great. Your reward shall be very great. That word very is an interesting word. It indicates the force behind the promised reward. 
It is the force that represents the power behind what he has promised to reward Abram. There's, there's a powerful statement here. And God is saying, I am all-powerful, and I will enable what I have promised. It's not on you, Abram. It's not dependent upon your enemies. It's not about your obstacles. It's not about the barriers. It's not about the circumstances. It's all on me, and it's all about me. And I, as the God who reigns and rules on the throne, the sovereign Lord, am powerful enough to enable that which I promised. Who can thwart the promises of God? Who can stop or prevent what God has promised? And the answer is no one, not even you, can stop the fulfillment of the promises of God. God is more powerful than you. He's more powerful than your circumstance. He's more powerful than your situation. He can overcome the obstacles. He can tear down the barriers. And he can defeat the enemies that are seeking to prevent what God has promised you. He can even remove the sin that is hindering the work of the Spirit in your life. God is the one who enables what he promises. And God alone is the one who makes that happen. Aren't you glad it's not all on you? I ask, aren't you glad it's not on you? I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me feel pretty good. God promises are enabled by God alone. Secondly, God's promises are established by God alone. God's promises are established by God alone. Now, there's some interesting things that happen here. Abram begins to now have a dialogue with God. After God has made this incredible promise to Abram, he, he sort of begins to, to sort of look, look for some assurance, look for some confidence, uh, look for something from God that would say to him and help him understand the fact that God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And here we see in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram speaks to the Lord first before this text. And he says, Lord. He calls him Lord. He recognizes your Lord, your sovereign, your God, your powerful, your Lord. You're not only Lord, but you're God. You reign and rule on the throne. But how is your promise going to be fulfilled? I don't have an heir. I don't have any offspring. I am childless. Now keep in mind that he's 90 plus years old, pushing 100 very quickly. I don't know about you, but that's old. That's old, isn't it? Now, some of you are pushing 100. You're old. No, you're old. And you're not going to live very much longer. I mean, that's reality. And Abram is looking at the human element here. He's beginning to realize, I, I'm an old man. I am long past childbearing years. My wife is an old woman, and she has long past childbearing years. Humanly, the human factor comes into play here. God, I have no heir. He reminds God he doesn't have an heir, as if God needs to be reminded. Let me tell you something. You don't need to remind God of anything. God knows it all. 
But we want to remind God, don't we? And Abraham said, in case you forgot, God, I'm an old man, my wife is an old woman, and we have no heir, and what's going to happen when I die is this slave or this servant that I got when I was on my journey to this place, this promised land in Damascus, I got a slave or a servant there, all that I have possessed, all that you've given me is going to be given to him because I have no heir. Do you think God didn't know that already? And then God says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. You know, I like it when God takes our griping and our grumbling and our reminding of him of circumstances, and he's gracious and kind and loving and patient. Aren't you glad he's like that with you? Come on, you know yourself better than that. Aren't you glad he's that way with you? I mean, your spouse is saying she's glad that God's that way with you, so you might as well admit it yourself. And so, and so here we have God comes, the word of the Lord, communicating to him specifically a message of hope. And he says, this man shall not be your heir. This guy from Damascus that you think is going to inherit all that I have given you, that's not him. Notice what he says, your very own son shall be your heir. That's, that's the correction. Abraham, you're wrong, man. Your, your, your stuff is not going to be given to this guy from Damascus. Your very own son, your heir, is going to be. You need a course correction. And there are times and moments in our lives when we see the impossibilities, when God comes to us and he needs to correct our thinking. Because with dumb thinking comes dumb faith. And God needs to correct sometimes our perceptions and our understandings and sometimes even our theology about God. And he's correcting Abram's understanding, and he brought him outside. It's kind of like he took Abram by the hand. He said, let me show you something, dude. And he's dragging Abram outside, okay? And it's dark. And they go out there in the pitch black. That's why I like living out in the country. And they stand outside, and he says, look. You look. And Abram looks, and I can imagine God has already arranged a clear sky. There are no clouds in the heavens because God has arranged it all. And he says, Abram, I want you to look up here. And Abram looks, and what does he see? He sees a sky filled with stars. And God says, try and count them if you can. (laughs) Now, remember, they didn't have any telescopes or things like that. If you can, try and count them. Just try. You know, and I think probably, more than likely, Abram, kind of like you and I, okay. One, two, three, four, ten thousand, ten ten thousand. Okay, I got to start over again. You know, they're just too many to count. And God says, after he lets Abram see physically, mentally, and emotionally how God is going to fulfill this promise. And sometimes God bring, comes down to our level and helps us see things with, with our eyes. And notice he says to Abram, so shall your offsprings be. My commitment to you, Abram, is that your descendants will be more numerous than the stars that you can count. Billions upon billions of them. You, there'll be so many you won't be able to count them. And I can imagine Abram that went, wow. Maybe he was a 70s child. Far out. I don't know. Who gave this promise to Abram? Was it something Abram sat down and said, this is what I want from you, dear God. 
and gave God a wish list and then tried to hold God accountable to his own wish list? Or was this something that God established with Abraham independently and completely apart from Abram? Abram had no choice, no selection, no input in the matter. God approached Abram and by grace said, this is your inheritance. It was established by God. And I'm convinced there are many people today who are claiming promises that God never made. And they're holding God hostage because God never made those promises to them. And when God didn't fulfill those promises that he never made, they got disappointed, discouraged, became defeated in their faith, and they are no longer completely trusting in God. And I wonder if you're one of those. Trying to hold God hostage for promises that he never meant for you and never gave you and never established with you. Abram didn't just wake up one morning and decide to write this down. This was larger than Abram could have possibly ever imagined. And yet God is saying, I've established this promise unto you. And I'm the one to establish it, and I'm the one who will enable its reality to happen. Number three, God's promises are not only established by God and and enabled by God, but they are extended by God alone. Extended by God alone. It's interesting the progression of Abram's faith, isn't it? Faith grows. It should grow. Uh, much like a child who's beginning to walk, and they walk a couple of steps and fall, and they pick up, and they walk and fall, and pick up and fall, you know, pretty soon, eventually, they walk pretty much pretty good, and, and they can hold themselves up. But the reality is, and most of us know, that you're going to fall sometimes in your life as faith. You, you begin to walk, you know, sort of, you begin to, you know, fall and stumble and and you're growing in your faith. Abram is growing in his faith because we see in the text the reality in Genesis 12 that when God already made some promises to Abram, he believed God. So Abram has already put his faith in God way back in Genesis 12, and this is Genesis 15. So what's happening here is, is that Abram's faith is growing in the Lord. His belief is growing in the Lord. I wonder if your faith has grown in the Lord. I'm convinced we got a lot of baby Christians out there who are still sucking their thumbs and, and, and wanting pacifiers or they're wanting baby blankets and they've not grown in their understanding of how God operates and how God works and they're not grown in their faith. Or as we grow in our faith, as we begin to understand the promises and the magnitude of what God wants to do, our faith has to grow in proportion to what God is going to do in our lives or it'll never be fulfilled. Notice the text, and he believed God. His faith grew. His faith increased because Genesis 12, he already believed, verse 13. But notice because of his faith what happens, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. He endowed, he, he uh, invested, he um, deposited, he granted to Abram his favor. Abram was justified by faith. God looked at Abram and because of his faith counted unto him, reckoned unto him his, God's righteousness. 
God approved of Abram because of his faith, his belief, his trust, his confidence in God. And because of his faith, it was counted unto him to be approved by God. Why? Because of his faith. And not only did Abram's faith grow, but in proportion of the growth and the increase of his faith, God extends even greater blessing. Did you follow that? Because as Abraham's faith grows, God's blessing also grows. Not only is God saying, I'm going to make your descendants as great as the number, are greater than the numbers of the, of the stars in the heavens, but I'm also going to endow unto you, I'm going to deposit into your account a righteousness in which you're going to meet my approval from now on. You know, if I had a billion dollars right now, and I just randomly picked somebody out of this room and, 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 and deposited that into your bank account. How would you feel? What, do you think you would do, live a little bit differently than you do right now? Do you? Well, that's a dumb question. Yeah, you would. I heard a report the other day. Was it the guy that sold Google or somebody who said he was so rich that his life was meaningless. He had no purpose. He was bored. How many of you would like to try that kind of life for a little bit? You got so much money that life is boring. Well, let me tell you right now, you've got all the righteousness that is needed, deposited in your account right now because of your faith and your trust and your confidence in the atoning death of Christ on the cross, where he, through faith in Jesus, deposited into your account all of the righteousness of God. And you're a multi-gazillionaire. Well, as a matter of fact, you, you just can't count because God is an infinite God, isn't he? He has no beginning and has no end. And so the righteousness that he gives is an infinite righteousness meaning that it can't be exhausted, meaning that it can't be denied, meaning that it can't be taken away because all of the righteousness of Christ has been endowed into your account and you are now approved by the Father, not attained by a righteousness of your own doing, but a righteousness that has been done through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and your faith and your trust and your confidence in his life and in his resurrection. God, at the moment of your conversion, deposited all of the sufficient righteousness that you would ever need for eternity. And he extended it to you. Number five, four. God's promises are enabled by God alone, established by God alone, extended by God alone, and insured by God alone. Insured by God alone. God is the one who secures them. God is the one who not only fulfills them, but God is the one who has all of the authority to ensure that your promises are eternal. They're eternal. The promises that you have in Christ are eternal. They can't be robbed. They can't be taken. They can't be denied. They, they can't be lost. Once saved, always secure. And those promises are always yours, kept by God himself. 
It's interesting that God does something very unusual here now because as we sort of back up a minute, we see what God did earlier in the text. God took Abram by the hand, took him outside, and showed him all the stars, right? That he showed him something. He came down to his level, and he wanted him to visibly see what God was going to do in order to bless his life. God now does something also that Abram is familiar with to help Abram understand the covenant promise that he's going to make with Abram. Because, you see, God has promised that he's going to have a son, he's going to have an heir, and that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Now, the only problem now that is, that is there, and the question more than likely is in Abram's mind, in his thinking, in his process. Okay, I have, I have all these heirs. Where's the land? Where's the kingdom? Where are they going to live? And so God understands that. And so God stoops again down to Abram's level and communicates to Abram in a way that he can understand. You see, there was a cultural covenant that they did during the time of Abram. And God stooped down to Abram's level to help him understand in this covenant that he was making with Abram exactly how he was going to fulfill it. He told Abram to go and slaughter some animals and to bring them and lay them as they were to be laid on the field, on the ground. And Abram complies, he obeys, he gets several of animals, and he slaughters them, he cuts them in two, and he lays them as they're supposed to be laid in this covenant relationship, in this covenant contractual agreement. This is how they made contracts by then, back then. They didn't have stenographers, they didn't have computers, they didn't have you know, the things that we have today. They made covenants by slaughtering animals, laying them in a field, and the, the two people that were making the covenant will walk through the animals with the blood and all that spill. They will walk through that hand in hand together, side by side, making the covenant. That covenant then, once that was done, it would be dishonorable to dishonor the covenant, to not fulfill the commitment. That's how they did it back then. And so God told Abram to go kill the animals and lay them, and he did. And the Bible says that when Abram got finished, he fell into a deep sleep. You ever fell into a deep sleep? And in that deep sleep, he had a vision in which he was able to see what God, what the Lord did. Now, in that deep sleep, God speaks to him first. And he says, Abram, let me tell you, let me give you some prophetic future. Let me me prophesy the future here. You came from Egypt. Remember, he, he strayed from the Lord and he went down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land and he ran to Egypt. And then he got kicked out of Egypt. Remember, he lied about his wife being his sister and Pharaoh found out and he kicked him out and he made his pilgrimage back to Canaan. Remember all that? Remember that? Well, now he's back in Canaan. And so God is going to prophesy his future. He says to Abram, remember you, you left Egypt? Well, guess what? Your descendants are going to go back to Egypt. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. That's four generations. But after 400 years, I'm going to bring judgment upon Egypt. And your people who have been enslaved in Egypt and who have served the Egyptians will then be set free by my power and by my hand. And they are going to journey back to this very spot, to this very spot, and they will inherit this land. Can you imagine? Wow. Now, part of that's not so good, that 400 years in, in slavery and bondage and serving a pagan king like in Egypt, but God promises he's going to judge Egypt and he's going to free the people and bring them back to this very spot. God makes a covenant with Abraham to do that, and this will be your inheritance. 
So how does God seal the deal? Remember, he's already laid the animals out. And in the vision, Abraham sees. What does he see? Notice the passage in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Two symbols of the presence of God, smoke and fire. Smoke and fire. You're going to see this throughout the Old Testament. Whenever there is a, a presence of smoke, it is symbolic of the presence of the Lord. And we ever see a flame like this, it is symbolic of the presence of the Lord. And God allowed Abram to see that it was the smoke and the fire. It was the Lord himself who walked through the covenant that he made with God. God walked through. The Lord walked through the covenant alone. Remember we talked about the tradition was the two that entered into the covenant walked together, right? God walks alone. Why is that? Because Abram can do absolutely nothing so that the covenant is fulfilled. He has no power. He has no resource. He has no intellect. He has no ability to enforce the promise between the two. He's out of the equation. It started with God and it will continue with God and it will end with God. It is all about God alone. It, it has nothing to do with Abram. And God makes the covenant with Abraham by himself because it is all about him. And he is the one who ensures, who protects our eternal reward. We have nothing to do with it as it was for Abram. And so he ensured the covenant on his own. It was God alone. Lastly, God's promises are enabled by God alone, established by God alone, extended by God alone, insured by God alone, but endowed by God alone. Endowed by God alone. Verse 18. On that day. I like that. On that day. Why did he say that? Why did Moses, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write on that day? Because this is the mark of the beginning of the covenant. From this point on, God has made the covenant. He's made the promise. This is the beginning. And God, from that point on, is going to seek now to fulfill that. The Lord marked the day. On that day, the Lord marked it. The Lord made the covenant with Abraham. Say, who spoke? The Lord spoke. The Lord marked the day. The Lord spoke. And what did he speak? To your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I want you to take a look at this one little phrase. I give this land. Who gave it? Who gave it? God gave it. What did Abraham do to get it? Zero, zilch, nada. Absolutely nothing. God said, I give this land. I will not only give you a son, but I will give you this land. It was endowed by God. And what God endowed upon Abram is a thing that you and I call today called grace. He endowed it because of grace. 
Way back early on in this study, God handpicked Abram out of a group of people. Why? Because of grace. God called Abram to sojourn with him. Why? Because of grace. God gave Abram the faith to follow God. Why? Because of grace. God gives him this promise of an heir and all of these descendants. Why? Because of grace. Abram didn't deserve any of this. Well, wait a minute. He had faith, so he deserved it. No, that's not how it works. For by grace you are saved through faith, in that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith also is a gift. You can't muster it up all on your own. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. Grace is a gift, and God gave it to Abram. Aren't you glad you're not getting what you deserve? Let me ask that again. Aren't you glad you're not getting what you deserve? If you got what you deserve, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't know God today through faith in Christ. You wouldn't have all of these promises because of your faith in Jesus who took upon himself your sin upon the cross and died in your stead or in your place. But because of that faith that God initiated in your heart, when he handpicked you out of a a group of lost sinners and called you by name and helped you realize that Jesus was the answer to his sin and convicted you of your need to trust in him and gave you the faith to do that and you stood in faith now in him. Now his righteousness is imputed upon you in your account and forever, forevermore, from now on, you stand before God in Christ, completely righteous because of his righteousness. And God gave us some incredible promises in regard to that. One, and I want to close with this. Galatians 3, 7. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that this it's that this, it is those of faith. Let me say it again. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram. Who are the sons of Abram? Who are the sons of Abram? Who's that? We are. Turn to your neighbor and say, I didn't know we were family. Uh-oh. There's some in here I don't want to be family with. It's kind of like a family reunion, you know what I'm saying? We are all descendants of Abraham. We are a part of that count that he said, hey, try and count them, Abe. We're not descendants of the flesh. We're descendants by faith. We are descendants of Abram. And guess what? All of his promises are our promises. You ever thought about that? Because we're his descendants. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, which is the good news 
beforehand to Abram, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. We're a part of that nation. The United States is a part of that nation who is being blessed with the gospel of Christ. This nation is not a direct descendant of Abram. Only those of us in this nation who are of faith in Christ. This nation has long forgotten its heritage. And I'm convinced that one of politicians, we're no longer a Christian nation. And we're not. We are not the kingdom of God, the United States of America. The church of Jesus Christ belongs to Abram and is the church that is a part of the kingdom of God. And it is those who are by faith trusting in Jesus who are a part of the family of Abram, descendants of him, heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Who was, in similar fashion, a high priest much like Melchizedek. So then, he says in verse 9, those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Uh, you know, just real quick, I'm going to read this last verse all the way down. If you don't, I don't, you probably don't have your Bible. Verse 14 says this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abram might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, there were some that God was writing through the penmanship of the Apostle Paul who believed that the reason why they were part of the kingdom of God was because they were Jews. They were Israel. And when Jesus burst in the scene, he said, no, 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 no. You're not a part of the descendant or the seed of Abram because you're Jews. You have to come into the family by faith. For even the Jew now has to come into the family of Abram and be an heir of the promises of God by faith. Even the Jew. It's not about nationality. It's about faith. And we who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who place our faith in Jesus now are adopted into the family, and we are a part of the blessing, the seed, the promise of Abram. Can you imagine Abram ever imagining the magnitude of the promises of God? He never saw it. He never saw it. And yet he believed. How much do you have to see before you believe. Faith comes by, faith comes by, one more time, faith comes by hearing, not seeing. Hearing what? The word of God. And if God said it, I believe it, and it will be done. So what is it that God has promised that you're not taking him at his word and believing in the possibility of what he wants to do in and through you. Or, or is the only thing you see is impossibilities. The human factor. I'm old. Too many obstacles, too many barriers. The enemy is too great. My sin is, is, is unforgivable. Baloney. My life is without power. That's not true. He says in Galatians 3, 1 through 6, that upon being converted into the faith, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the law, but through hearing the gospel. For once we came to faith in Jesus, we were endowed with the Spirit of God that empowers us and enables us to live the life that God has called us to live in Jesus. 
There are limitless possibilities that God wants to do in your life. Limitless possibilities. There are no impossibilities. So we must stop limiting God and like Abram, believe. Believe. So we will receive. Let's pray.